Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We hope this resource is a blessing to you. Let's jump in. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 21. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors were locked where the disciples were. For fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed him his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I sent you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. If you don't know me, my name is Dave Bruner. I'm one of the pastors here. It's so great to be with all of you today. I'm so glad to be up here in the pulpit again. Um, Before I read the other scripture we're gonna look at today, let's have a word of prayer together. Good and gracious God, our Father in heaven, we pray you would send your Holy Spirit among us in this time. May it fall on us again in power convict us, convert us, and send us to be your people, a sign of your kingdom to the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our reading is from the letter to the Ephesians, chapter one. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will. So that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you had first heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. Okay, let's take stock of where we are. As many of you know, we're in the middle of a sermon series looking at the kingdom of God. Two weeks ago, we talked about the kingdom of God and Jesus' ministry. We talked about his teaching, 
his preaching, his miracles and signs, the ways Jesus indicated through his words and deeds that the kingdom of God, so long desired and urgently prayed for, had finally come near in his person, that it had begun in him. Last week, we talked about the kingdom of God and Christ's cross. Jesus died to show that his kingdom was not one established by violence, power, or force, but by relentless and vulnerable love. Jesus didn't ride a war horse into Jerusalem, but a simple donkey. He didn't meet violence with violence. He suffered it instead. We talked about how this was and is a scandal to many people for whom power and control remain infinitely preferable to love and surrender. The resurrection was God's vindication of Jesus, his way of saying, yes, Jesus was right. Yes, this man is the bringer of my kingdom and it's breaking in even now. So it would seem the story's over, right? God's kingdom has come. Everybody rides off into the sunset, right? Well, not quite. After Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and told his disciples he'd return one day. That return of Jesus Christ is what we're gonna talk about next week. The consummation of God's kingdom, its final arrival, the day, as the letter to Ephesians says, when God will sum up all things in Christ, the day when God will wipe away every tear from our eye, the day when every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's next week. But we're not there yet. This week, we are talking about where all of us are right now. And that's in between. We're talking about living in this moment, living in a time when the kingdom of God has already begun, but it is not yet here in all its fullness. The kingdom of God has started, but it is not yet completed. And scholars have a name for this. Usually when scholars have a name for something, it's like a multi-hyphenate German word, right? This is blessedly simple. They call it the already, not yet. The already, not yet. That's their way of referring to this duality in our Christian faith. The kingdom of God is already here, but it is not yet here in all its fullness. Now, this might seem confusing, but we're all acquainted with this dynamic in life. Sometimes important things start at a particular time, and they take a long time to carry to conclusion. One example that many of us will know is labor. Moms, how long is the time between the first contraction that a mom feels and the moment the baby is born? Well, every mom in here is saying, yes, Dave, that's the question. That's the $64,000 question. We, we, you never know. You never know until the baby shows up. Becca and I had both of them, <laughs> quick and long. We believe in the church that Jesus' life and ministry were the labor pains of God's kingdom. They were a sign that the kingdom was on its way. But we also believe that the baby hasn't been born yet. The kingdom's not here yet in all its fullness. 
Even though we Christians haven't seen the kingdom come in all of its power, we remain confident that it is on its way because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the sign that God gives us to let us know for certain that his kingdom is here now and will one day be here completely. That's what Ephesians says, for instance. It says, when you heard the gospel and believed, what happened? You were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the pledge of our inheritance towards redemption. What does that mean? It means the Holy Spirit is a pledge of God's kingdom. It's a sign of God's kingdom. That's how we know the kingdom will one day come in all its fullness. Gentlemen, when you decide you're gonna propose marriage to that special lady, what do you do? Well, tradition says you get down on one knee and you offer her what? An engagement ring. And there are many reasons for this. The first is that if you're like me and you're marrying up, you're marrying someone way out of your league, you wanna throw everything at that amazing woman to get her to marry you. An engagement ring, a, a, a diamond mine, a cute little puppy, whatever it takes, right? The second and more important reason though is that you want to show you're in earnest. You wanna show that you're serious, that you will follow through on this proposal that you've made, that you don't take this decision lightly. As strange as it might sound, the Holy Spirit is like God's engagement ring to the church. It's the sign that God has given us to show that he is in earnest about his kingdom. If you're lucky enough to buy a house, what's the most important part of that process? Putting together a down payment, right? This is sometimes a little bit more difficult than we would like it to be. Most of us have to face it. Very few of us buy our houses with cash. Very few of us buy the whole thing. If you bought your house with cash, please let me know and you can buy me lunch. Very few of us buy the whole house at once. But we make a down payment to show that we're serious, that we're committed, that we've thought about it, deliberated. The Holy Spirit is God's down payment for us. That's literally what the Greek word means. In Ephesians 1, the author calls it a pledge, a pledge of our inheritance. That pledge is the Greek word erebon, which just means down payment. It comes from the world of commerce. In the ancient world, they made down payments too. You got to picture two Greek guys walking on a beach saying, oh, Alexander, I found this lovely place in Philippi, but I didn't have enough money for an erebon, so some other guy got it, right? Exactly how they use the word. And in fact, elsewhere, when the word Arabon is used in the Bible, it's translated down payment. So for instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter one, Paul says, it is God who has anointed us, who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a down payment. And again, in chapter five, the one who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a down payment. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of God's kingdom. The whole thing is not here yet, but it is coming. It is on its way. And in the Spirit, we have a sure and trustworthy sign of that reality. 
It's important that you understand that the Holy Spirit is the common possession of every Christian. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. If you believe in Jesus, congratulations, you got it. It's not the possession of an elite few. It's not the possession of spiritual superstars or pastors alone. It belongs to each of us as believers in Christ, and it belongs especially to all of us as a corporate body. And the most important thing that the Spirit does is empower us to live as witnesses to God's coming kingdom. The Spirit for us is the down payment that God's kingdom is coming soon, and we in turn are empowered by the Spirit to be that down payment for the world. Our job as the church is to represent and share that down payment, to embody the kingdom, to make it tangible, make it real, make it plausible, make it attractive to people outside the church, alienated from the church, who don't know anything about the church at all. Think about that wonderful reading from the Gospel of John. When the risen Christ shows up to his disciples, what happens? He sends them out to minister in his name. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I sent you. As the Father sent me into this world to be a representative of his kingdom, so I send you out to be a representative of my kingdom. Now, if I'd had my wits about me this week, I would have had this reading go on for another two verses, but it didn't. Two verses later, you know what Jesus does? He breathes on the disciples and he gives them the Holy Spirit. He gives them that pledge of the kingdom. He empowers them for the task he's given them. That's who you and I are. We're witnesses sent by Jesus into the world in the power of the spirit. That's what this church is. In the words of the great reformed thinker, Leslie Newbigin, the church exists to be a sign, instrument, and foretaste of God's kingdom. A sign of the kingdom, an instrument of the kingdom, and a foretaste of the kingdom. And I wanna share three ways that we can do that. Three ways. Now I want you to know these all start with the same letter, that's just the way that lined up, but I'm particularly pleased because that's really something my wife likes a lot. She likes it when there are three points and they're alliterative. Sometimes she comes into my office in the middle of the week and says, honey, I've thought of two points for my sermon and they both start with Q. Can you help me out? And I say, Becca, you are a busy woman. Is this really what you need to be doing right now? Three points, they all start with F. Fraternity, friendship, and faith. Fraternity, forgiveness, and faith. Excuse me, fraternity, forgiveness, and faith. So fraternity. Okay, some of you were in fraternities in college and you're confused. Uh, you're thinking, well, pastor, I don't know if you've ever been to a fraternity party, but I'm pretty sure fraternities are not signs of God's kingdom. When I say fraternity, I do not mean toga parties and bad beer. I mean the literal meaning of fraternity, brotherhood, friendship, solidarity. In the kingdom of this world, things are a certain way when it comes to human relationships. People mostly look out for themselves and their own needs, and they don't particularly care about the well-being of others or of people who aren't much like them. That's not how it is 
in God's kingdom. The New Testament tells us again and again that a sign of the kingdom is the reconciliation of people who belong to different groups, different tribes, different outlooks, different cultures. The work of the Holy Spirit is to pull us out of isolation and indifference into compassion and community. Across ethnic lines, across economic lines, across cultural lines, across sexual lines, across religious lines. This sort of fraternity, of brotherhood, of caring is a sign of the kingdom. How many of you have heard of a guy named Derek Black? Raise your hand if you've heard of Derek Black. Yeah, same at the last service. Darren's raising his hand because he was here last hour. Every time that happens, Derek raises his hand. Um, Derek Black uh, grew up in the South, and he grew up in a family composed of white supremacists. So these were people very deeply steeped in explicitly racist movements. Um, and it was pretty sad stuff. His dad was a grand wizard in the KKK, if that tells you anything. And uh, he was young, articulate, persuasive exponent of that point of view and very much groomed to be a um, future leader in that movement. And then he went to college. And the plan was for him to fly under the radar at this small liberal arts college he went to. He didn't tell anyone about his beliefs. He didn't tell them who his dad was. He didn't tell them that he was a future leader in the racist movement. He just showed up and went to class. He was a friendly enough guy. He started to make friends. So he started to make all kinds of friends, people who looked like him, people who looked differently from him. He befriended several folks in the Jewish community on campus. A couple of years go by, he's well known, and then all of a sudden he's outed on campus. Someone finds out about him, someone passes the news on to the student newspaper, student newspaper runs a front page story, white supremacist student here at our college. Everyone denounces him, they want nothing to do with him, understandably so. All of a sudden he doesn't have any friends, people are calling for his expulsion, except one group of people. Derek Black has befriended a group of Jewish students, and there's one of them, an Orthodox Jew named Matthew Stevenson, who had started inviting Derek Black to have Sabbath dinners with him and some friends in his apartment on Friday nights. And when the news breaks, Matthew Stevenson doesn't denounce him, he doesn't cut off his ties, he just says, well, come on over and we'll talk. So for more than a year, Matthew Stevenson and some other friends maintain this wonderful friendship with Derek Black where they invite him over, they share a meal, they make small talk and chat, and then they gently, lovingly debate these issues. And they, they press him and they show him that there's really no evidence for that sort of horrifying racist ideology. And so about a year, two years later, Derek Black renounced his racist point of view. <laughs> He sent a statement to the Southern Poverty Law Center saying, I no longer want to have anything to do with it. I regret and repent my former actions. Please don't confuse my family's beliefs with mine. I believe that sort of fraternity, that sort of love toward a person that has nothing in common with you is a sign of the kingdom. Those folks would have been well within their right to write off Derek Black as a dead end but they chose another path. And we, as the church, can be the same way. Fraternity is a sign of God's kingdom. 
so is forgiveness. Forgiveness is a sign that the church needs to practice again and again and again in its own life. And you know why? I'll tell you why. Because I am a member of this church (laughs) and I'm not perfect. And I hate to break it to you, none of you are perfect either, okay? The church is an imperfect group of people who are saved by grace. We are a hospital for sinners and not a museum for saints. And that means sometimes we're gonna step on each other's toes. We're gonna get on each other's nerves. We're gonna have little and big fights. No more than we need, I hope, but we will. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us extend to each other the same grace that Jesus showed us. And for all its flaws, the church represents a precious opportunity to be part of a community that hangs together when things get rough. To model what it's like to be part of a community that sticks with you even when hard conversations need to be had, even when hard truths need to be named, even when the status quo is not okay. You know as well as I do that we live in a world where conflict is all too often performative. You know what I mean by that? All too often when we get into a conflict with someone, we're not even listening to that person. We're not interested in hearing what they have to say, learning from them. We're interested in getting our own point of view out there and scoring points with those who already agree with us. If I go on social media and I see one more clickbait video that says so-and-so destroys so-and-so on this television show, I'm gonna hide myself under a rock, right? That dynamic was already out there. It's a million times worse now because of social media. I believe the church has a precious opportunity to be a sign of God's kingdom by modeling forgiveness and reconciliation in a divided and polarized world. Third, faith in Jesus is a sign of God's kingdom. The Bible is clear that faith itself, the ability and willingness to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior is a gift of the Spirit. Faith is a decision that we make. It's a personal resolution that we arrive at, yes, but it's more than that. It's the Holy Spirit working in us, beckoning us, calling to us, rising up in us to make us loving children of a loving father. And the most precious thing we can share with the world is that faith. We can share our own journey with faith. We can share our own journey of how the spirit has worked in our lives to beckon us toward faith and sustain us in faith. Because people need to hear it. I think back to my own spiritual journey as a Christian. When I was younger, in my teens and in my 20s, I had a ton of questions about my faith. And I wrestled with them for years. I majored in religious studies in college, partly because I hoped that studying religion academically would help me get some answers. Uh, No, not really, but it was very educational. It would have been so easy for me to walk away. Why didn't I? So many of my friends did walk away for a time or a season. Why didn't I? 
It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had a hold of me and wouldn't let me go. When I was in seminary, I went back to my hometown to Oak Park and I had coffee with a friend from high school. We were sitting there in Starbucks yakking away and another guy we knew in high school came up to us. I hadn't seen him in many years, but we were friends on Facebook. And we talked for a while and then he looked at me and he said, Dave, you're in seminary? And I said, yeah. And he said, you're gonna be a pastor? And I said, yeah. And he went, nobody saw that coming. And I thought, well, thank you, I guess. The fact that I'm here today, the fact that I'm leading you in worship, the fact that I'm still a Christian at all is a miracle. And I had very little to do with it. It was the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I say that because I know some of you know what that's like. You know what it's like to struggle in your faith, to wrestle with your faith, to walk away from God or the church for a time or a season. And you know what it's like to hear that steady, loving, compassionate, persistent, sometimes relentless voice of the Holy Spirit calling out to you saying, come home. I love you. Come home. And that's a journey the world needs to hear. Faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And if we as a community can model that for the world, we'll be so fortunate. The church exists to be a sign, instrument, and foretaste of God's kingdom. I like that word, foretaste. If you know me, there's nothing I like more than a strange, unique little word that I can work into a sentence. Foretaste is not a word we use very often in life, but it's an appropriate one, right? You know when you go to an ice cream shop and you can get a little sample of ice cream? That's a foretaste, right? Try that out the next time you go and get ice cream. You can say, I'd like a foretaste of the chocolate chip and see what they say. When I go with my family, my kids love ice cream. And sometimes we get six or 10 foretastes before we get to the main course. And I'll think to myself, we should really stop foretasting now because the people behind us are getting a little annoyed, okay? You and we are a foretaste of God's kingdom. So on your way out, there's a box full of ice cream spoons. And I want you to grab one and take it with you, stick it in your pocket. And this week, I want you to remember that, that you and we are a foretaste of God's kingdom. Pray and ask him to use us in his service, and he will. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on how to get connected, please visit our website at knoxprez.org. That is K-N-O-X-P-R-E-S dot org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or Spotify.